0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to read a little portion of it in just a moment. And normally, I'm I'm going to hazard a guess. You probably won't ever hear this. If you haven't already, you won't hear it again on Thanksgiving. But it is a Thanksgiving message. And first time I've ever preached this Thanksgiving. Let me tell you the story. The story of 2 Kings chapter 3. It's a very interesting story. Three kings. Three kings. And no, they aren't the we three kings of Orient are. They are King Jehoshaphat. Everybody say King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat. Second king is King Jeraram. And I have no idea what the third king's name is. It's just called the Edomite king. Say the Edomite king. king. Okay, now this is important. Three kings. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Twelve tribes of Israel had split at the time of, of David's grandchildren, King David's grandchildren. They split the tribes. And Judah was the only godly tribe of the crew. There was Judah and there was Israel. Even though Israel, and we know of Israel today, and it's a one nation. But at the time, it was two tribes. Judah was King Jehoshaphat. It was the only, he was the godly king in the, in the three. The other two are not godly kings. The other two have no revere towards Jehovah God. So King Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Judah. Then there is King Jeroram, and he's the king of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel. He has no interest in God. He's fallen away from God. And then we don't know what the next king's name is. It's just the king of Edom That's what he's called so these three kings they're marching off to battle so here you have a picture picture with me three kings side by side on their white horses they're marching to battle the armies with them three armies joined for the effort of the battle jehoshaphat of course being the only god-fearing king of the bunch is really second guessing why he's doing this he had you know he wants to keep good diplomatic relations with his two neighbors, the Israeli and the Edomites, he uh, felt that it would be important to strengthen the ally's strength, but he's really wondering why he's doing this, and you're going to see more of this as we get into the story. So here the three of them are marching off to battle. Now the reason of the battle is about Jeroram, he's the king of Israel, an ungodly king. What had happened is a nation of Moab had been paying tribute. It had been a treaty set up years prior. And so Moab was paying a very substantial tribute to Israel. And overnight they decided to stop paying tribute to them. And diplomatic efforts failed. And so the Israeli king declared war. But he began to look at his own army and think he he might not win this war. So he reached out to his allies, one to the one side, one to the other side, Judah and Edomites. It serves all our purpose if we win this battle. And they agreed. Thus the three kings and their armies marching to Moab to wipe the earth with them. That's the battle. Now, what begins to take place, and I put some pictures up here. There's a picture of Petra. The plan here was, was they were going to circle wide east into the desert, and they would attack the Moabites at ker with Israel to the west. Moab would never expect assault from the east, the desert. Now, if you just pause for frame, some of you have lived to remember the desert storm with uh, Kuwait, remember that, Iraq. Remember the, the coalition came in, instead of coming in by sea, which the enemy was prepared, they came in by, remember, the desert. And that's how they won the battle. Very same strategy. The strategy is not new. Very same strategy. So they would come in on the back end, which was the desert end. They would surprise them, because who comes in by the desert? They would come in by the desert end, and they would fight from the desert side. That was the strategy. Three armies plan would they would carry, they figured they'd get through the desert in three days. They would carry enough water to get to the border of Moab, and there are oases, there are places in the land of Moab they would replenish the supply of water for their horses, their own water canteens, and then they would attack. This is where the plan collapsed. They hadn't counted, so they went into this plan. They started circling around. They were going three days. They'd gone through the desert, and they're entering the land of Moab. They're coming to the border only to discover the land of Moab had been in an extended drought. There was no water for their horses. There was no water for their army. There's no water. Now, at this point, Jehoshaphat is thinking, if the king of Israel had just sent a reconnaissance in, he would have known. Maybe the reason they weren't paying tribute was because they couldn't. They're in a drought. But, oh, no, he never did that. So they are in a predicament. Are you tracking with me? They are in a deep predicament, these three kings. On the precip of a battle. And they have no water and they've been without water what are they to do well good old king of israel who got them all into this jeroram he starts griping and complaining we're all going to die he broke the silence the moabites are going to find us here with our horses dead Then they're going to slaughter us like sheep. We're all going to die. And I guarantee you, if I was King Jehoshaphat, that would be the place I just want to get up and smack them. It's your fault. Let's pick up the story. 2 Kings chapter 3, 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah, the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march, seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or their animals with them. Verse 10, here it was. What? Exclaimed the king of Israel who got them into all this. What? Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of the Moabites? (laughs) So Joseph had the godly king the only man of God here, says, I think we need to pray. <laughs> now, this is Old Testament times. Remember, the Spirit of God is not, has not dwelt with man. didn't happen until Christ sent his Spirit to dwell among man. The Spirit of God does not dwell among man. He speaks through prophets at given times. So King Jehoshaphat looked to Jeroram and said, Is there not a prophet that we can talk to about this? We need to talk to God. This is a bad situation. No doubt wishing he did this at the first, but he didn't. Is there no man of God we can talk to? That was the question he asked the Israeli king. We picked that up, verse 11. Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Japhat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now here's the thing. Jehoshaphat is shocked. He's shocked that the king of Israel didn't even know Elisha was among them. How could you not know the great prophet Elisha? I mean, Elisha's my guy. If you know me, you know Elisha's my guy. Elisha's been marching with us. He's part of this group back here. And you don't even know this this famous prophet from Tisba is among your own followers? That's how far out of God the king of Israel was. Nevertheless, the beautiful, bald-headed prophet with fire in his eyes was brought up and he stood among them. And this is what he had to say. Verse 16, let's pick it up. This is what the Lord says coming from the prophet. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither rain, wind, nor rain. Yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. Now, when I read through that, I thought, I don't know, that's good. But then I began to, I wonder what other versions said. I was reading it from the New International Version. New International Version, the very first verse. Can we go back to the first verse? The first verse, this is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water. But I came across another version. I went back into the original Greek, and the original Greek said for what he actually said. It wasn't exactly like that. I went to the complete Jewish Bible. Here's how it translates. He said, Adonai says, to dig until this valley is full of ditches. Holman Christian Standard Bible says it this way. Dig ditch after ditch in this valley. Ditches. That's the answer to the problem? Ditches. Ditches for water. In the middle of a desert... At a time of drought. Ditches, you say. (laughs) Okay. Now, let me just pause here. Let me just pause. I'm going to come back to the story in a moment. Here we are, Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada is celebrated in a number of weeks over a month beyond before Thanksgiving in the U.S. Thanksgiving, a lot of our traditions here in Canada, Thanksgiving is the Thanksgiving of Farmers. I don't even know if we have one farmer. I mean, active farmer. I don't mean if you have a cat and a dog. I mean, active farmers in our midst. I don't think we have any active farmers here. And I don't know if we have any active farmers watching online. We may. But Thanksgiving is where farmers have, are celebrating because normally around this time, we have brought in our crops. And we have food and provision for one more year. And so we pause, and we give God thanks. Now, the reason I make mention of that is because, again, probably no farmers in our midst. So we don't have the privilege of farmers that have brought in their crops, their barns are full, their silos are full, their grain bins are full, and they thank God, thank you, Lord, I know that you've granted provisions for another year. Because we have given thanks. We, on Thanksgiving, and many of you have given thanks. I was listening to Life 100.3 the other day, And the breakfast guys and the two of them were going back and forth and they were calling on each other to give thanks for something. What are you giving thanks? And they began to go back and forth, rallying, giving thanks for different things. But today, October, what is it? The 10th today? 2021. Having endured over, what, maybe now 18 months of the craziest time that probably any of us, unless you went through the war, and I would say that's probably even crazier. If you didn't go through the war, then probably this has been the craziest time for us. And although we may say thank you with our mouth, and by the way, Pascal, great package. Wasn't that a great package this morning? Thank you, Lord. Wasn't that a great package? Um, Yes. Thank you. Thank you, team, of, of worshiping and leading us in worship. Thank you. There's thank you. Hey, we're just a thankful bunch this morning, aren't we? But how many times in a day like this, often our thanksgiving is a platitude? Because if you really want to know the truth, we've got a lot of grievances going on inside. And it's that that I want to make mention of. Because there are those who are here who, when you look back over this year, unlike the farmer, you look back over this year and you lost your job. Or you're about to lose your job. There are those here who you look back over this last year and sickness has plagued you or your loved one. There are those here who've looked back over this last year and you've never been more lonely than in this last year. There are those who have always given platitudes of thanksgiving. You look back over this last year and you have been unable to meet your financial obligations. And if not that, you certainly have come nowhere near your financial goals. There are those here who have lost your loved ones. Either you lost your loved ones through death or you lost your loved ones through strife in your family, and it's like they're gone. It's been a year of unprecedented division and fear and anger in this nation. Perhaps you're disappointed. This is a year of disappointment. You're disappointed in your government. You're disappointed in the leadership. You're disappointed in your faith community. And on it goes. When you're sitting here today on October the 10th, 2021, you're looking back, you give thanks. But in your heart, if the truth be told, there's a lot of stuff going on that you're not thankful for. So here we find ourselves on Thanksgiving weekend saying thanks, and I'm going to suggest this morning, the Spirit of the living God is saying, you need to dig some ditches. You need to dig ditches. I said to Lori this week, do we have a, I know I had one of those, you know, shovels they, you know, for digging when you ground break something and you dig, you know, it's all for pictures and stuff, but we don't have it somewhere we got, it's not with us anymore, and we had our old shovel, so I chose not to bring our old shovel in. It's all rusty. But I thought about bringing a shovel in because um, that's what I believe the Spirit is saying this Thanksgiving. And my title is called Dig In. And it's a tongue, tongue on play because it's like when, I, when we get the turkey, I'm going to dig in. But God is calling us to dig in. Start digging. Start digging. Let's go back to the story. It made no sense. In the story, the man of God came forward and had a word from the Lord, and it was this. You need to start digging ditches in the desert. And so, dig ditches they did. They got their shovels out, and it would have been something. These army guys start just digging ditches. And they began to dig ditches under the brutal middle east sun began to dig ditches in the hard baked ground digging ditches everybody dig ditches everybody start digging ditches that was the command start digging ditches and so and they're like dying of thirst and it's like we're dying of thirst you're calling us in the midday sun to dig ditches and jehoshaphat says dig more ditches and so they dig a few ditches we're too tired we're exhausted We're going to give up all the last energy we have. We still have to fight a battle. Our horses are dying. And Jehoshaphat saying, keep digging ditches. Dig more. Dig more. Remember the command? Fill the valley with ditches. Everybody on the shovel. Dig. Keep digging. Past noon, keep digging. The end of the day, keep digging until dark. Keep digging ditches. Don't think for a second there wouldn't have been some serious pushback. As a leader, you understand pushback. And there would have been pushback to say, we're we're not digging another ditch. And I'm sure the kings and their commanders were going and says, yes, you will keep digging. You will keep digging ditches. And there was every excuse under the sun to not dig more ditches. So dug ditches they had. They, They excavated the entire valley. And the sun dropped. Evening came. They were thankful. They rolled out their beds. They fell. And they went to sleep. They went to sleep. That night, a rainstorm hit the upper highlands. Nowhere near them. It came down so violently, the rainstorm rushed into the rivers. It poured past the rivers and it flowed. And where they were sleeping, the water went by Petra. We saw it earlier, and Petra is filled with red rock. It turned red, pinkish, as it went through. Flooded all the rivers, overflowed the rivers, and continued to flow down into the valley. And it would have kept going, had there not been ditches all over the valley. And not one... Person saw it happen. They slept. They slept. And here's what happened. The exhausted soldiers are sleeping through the whole miracle. <laughs> I love the story. Let's pick it up, can we? Second Kings chapter three, verse 20. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there was water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. They woke up and water was everywhere filled their ditches. While they slept, that's God. While they slept, they didn't even know what was happening. They woke up in the morning, all the ditches were full. Woke up in the morning. Now here's, here's, gets even better. Verse 21. Now all the Moabites, their enemy, had heard that the kings had come to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called up and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning... The sun was shining on the water in the valley. And to the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. 23, that's blood, they said. Those three kings have turned against each other. They fought and slaughtered each other. Now to the (laughs) plundermen. That's what they said. Now to the plunder. And foolishly. The Moabites slapping and high-fying each other on the back, laid down their weapons. I mean, you don't need your weapons when you strip dead bodies. Laid down their weapons and marched on into the valley where they thought there was blood. Unafraid. 24. But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns, and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. What a day of victory. I got some points. Got some points. Number one, the inaccurate perception from what you see. The inaccurate perception of what you see. The Moabites assumed that red meant blood, and that must mean a lot of dead people. And that all they had to do was pick through the spoils. And this inaccurate perception cost them their lives. It cost them their lives. Likewise, I'm going to suggest when you see red, you do well to wait when you see red. You do well to slow it down. We do not live by sights. I do not live by what I see with my eyes. We were praying with the team here today before we went into the service. We were praying and we said, let's not live by what we see. We live by what we believe. We may not see those things yet. And we had three testimonies this morning. And some of you wish you that was your story. Well, it can be. Don't live by what you're looking at. Don't live by what I, I got today. Live by what God is speaking about my tomorrows. I live by faith, not by sight. That was, that's what distinguishes me from people around. Because I live according to the word of the Lord. I don't live according to the word of mankind. And so I might see this, but I don't live according to that. And too many times, by what I see with my eyes and what I'm hearing with my ears, I am inaccurate. Because God is doing something else. And what happens if I live by what I see and if I live by what I hear? Too many times I make judgmental statements. I end up doing and saying things and believing things that are not of God that are extremely damaging and can't be taken back. You know, we do well even regarding the day that we live in with regard to discrimination. Don't live by what you simply see and hear. We need to now be more than anything as children of God, people of love, people of mercy, and people of grace. When there are situations around us and we don't understand them and we're angry and they make us angry, people make us angry, we start to see red. That's the time you go before the Lord and wait on Him. You better not act on it. Don't act on it. We're living in a time where there's more division and anger and anxiety over vaccines and those not vaccinated. And we start to look at those things and start to call judgments down. And it's not your job. It's not my job. I'm to love them. I'm to love them. I'm to demonstrate grace on them. Not to stand in the seat of judgment and to try to push something through. That's not my place. I will care for them. God's the judge. He'll look after that. I will love them. I'll care for them. I will reach out to them. I'll demonstrate mercy. The Lord was showing me a few weeks ago, and he showed in my own heart. He says, you've got contempt. And I said, I don't have contempt. He says, you've got contempt. I said, I don't. You know, he wins. And so I looked up. Contempt. Contempt. The feeling that something is beneath your consideration, deserving your scorn. In other words, something that, and and I felt it was righteous. You know, I can't, it'll be mistaken that I'm approving of them if I do this. And the Lord says, no, that's contempt. You're showing scorn and they don't deserve your scorn. You love them. You love them. But I don't agree with them. You love them. You come around and you love you demonstrate and everything you are, love them. Number one is this inaccurate perception from what you see with your eyes. Let's be careful. Let's be careful what we say. Let's be careful how we respond, how our heart begins to contempt towards certain people. That's not Christian. Secondly, avoid bad partnerships. Can we learn that from the story? Avoid bad partnerships. Jehoshaphat, lesson learned. He was cluing in as he rode into battle. This is not a bright idea. And yet here he is in the battle. Be careful of your partnerships. Good alliances in life can be a source of empowerment and resources for advancement. However, bad alliances can be destructive and an unceasing source of. Pain. Partners with va- vastly different values and visions, with bad morals, whose worth ethics are at odd against your work ethics, make for a life of drought for you. Be careful of your partnerships. Be careful of that. Ungodly partnerships can dry up the water in your life faster than anything else. Beware of your close, close ties. So I just want to speak to young people. I want to speak to children here today and online. Young people, beware of dating relationships. Beware of those relationships. Don't consider dating unless that person, as a child of God, is a a serious candidate for marriage and will compliment you in your faith. Don't date them. Don't date them. They can be friends. But beware of those partnerships that you enter into alliances with. Because they will suck life out of you. Beware of partnerships in business. Beware of partnerships and friendships. Sometimes we end up having partners because they're the life of the party. In school, or sometimes even in our workplace, we want to be around. That person's going somewhere, so we want to be close to them. And so we make compromises in our relationship to become a partner, to become close to them. Beware, 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 beware. Jehoshaphat knew better. He sinned in this. He should not have been going off to a a battle that was not his to fight. This was not something that God had asked him and told him to do. Beware of those relationships. I put a sentence up here. It's this. Be slow to link your destiny in the desert with another destiny uncommitted to the same God you serve. Be slow to link your destiny in the desert with another destiny, uncommitted to the same God you serve. You'll grieve over it. Number three, reach out for grace. Jehoshaphat in this story made a series of bad decisions. Would you agree? I mean, he allied himself with Jeroram and the king of Eden. He marched into a desert with not enough water. He entered into unfamiliar territory without first gathering reconnaissance and intelligence That would have revealed there was a drought there. All these added up to. Every one of them could have added up to a deadly mistake for him and his army. Yet, when he was up against the wall. What did he do? He turned to God. When he was up against the wall. They were of no water. There was no hope. They were in the middle of a desert. There was no way they were going to win this battle. And there he cries out to God. God. I need you. Lord, I need you. Made a comment here. I put it up here in PowerPoint for you. If God will redeem us from the pit of deliberate, intentional wickedness, how much more will he rescue us from the pit of stupidity? If he will rescue us from the pit of deliberate, intentional wickedness, he saved my soul. That's what happened. Then how much more can you trust him when you just do something plain out stupid? Is stupid. He's still here. He is still present. He still says, I haven't left you or forsaken you. You are not alone. It's called mercy, it's called grace. And it's so important listen, it's so important for you and I to reach out for grace when you find yourself in those impossible, difficult circumstances, even if it's because of your stupidity. Reach out for his grace. So oftentimes we think, oh, I've I've blown it too many times. God is saying, no, you haven't. I'm a God of mercy and grace. Reach out. Reach out again. Today, reach out for his grace. If If Jehoshaphat had wheeled his army around that day on the border of Moab and tried to make it back through Petra, he would have died. He would have lost his entire army. We can't just turn back. We can't just try harder. There's a time where we come and we say, God, I fall on my knees before you. God, rescue me. I need you. Remember, you're not on your own in the valley. So don't act like you're on your own. We don't need Elisha to show up because God has given us his Holy Spirit. There's a song I sing quite often, usually when I'm kind of needing to sing it. You know, it's a song uh, that we don't need all these different things. One thing we need, we need to just call on Jesus. Jesus, come. Jesus, help me now. Jesus, I call on your name right now. And Holy Spirit is present. Holy Spirit is present. Let me give you the last one. Dig in. Dig in. Jehoshaphat's... Okay, here's a question. So what was the great miracle that There was a number of little miracles that day. What was the big one? Was the big miracle that day that God had poured out rain? That was a, that was a good miracle already. God opened up the heavens in a time of drought. God, yeah, that's, that's a miracle. But if that's all that ever happened that day, then it would have rained and it would have went right on through and that was the end of it. No, that wasn't the big miracle. No, was the big miracle digging a ditch? Well, digging a ditch, yeah. Nobody wanted to dig a ditch. You know, to get out the shovel and dig a ditch when you're really, really thirsty. Yeah, a ditch would be good. But a ditch wouldn't have been enough, would it? What was the miracle that day? I'll tell you what the miracle. Here's the big one. They kept digging ditches. It wasn't the rain. It wasn't a ditch. It was a valley full of ditches. The miracle that day is a valley full of ditches. You see, if it was just God, the rain would have washed right through. One ditch? Moabites wouldn't have even considered one ditch. The miracle was in the midst of a desert, they kept digging ditches. Wow, we're getting this, I think, aren't we? We're getting it. Faith is where faith says, I will not stop. Not a ditch here, not a ditch there. Dig a valley full of ditches. When God spoke, he says, no, don't just dig one. We had to go back to the original to find this. You keep digging until this whole valley is filled with ditches. Now, when they were digging them, they had no idea why. Just dig ditches in the valley. Dig ditches in your desert. It would be one thing if they knew they saw the clouds forming. Oh, yeah, let's hurry up and get them dug. No dig ditches in your valley. Dig them. And I'm sure Jehoshaphat looked at his soldiers. The animals were dehydrated. They were fatigued. Sky was cloudless. In the middle of dry season, desert. Raging thirst, faith, only faith will dig ditches when you can't see what's about to happen. If in the driest valley of your life, God says, dig, then dig. And I'm going to say, keep digging. Here's where we make the mistake. We quit digging. Oh, beloved, many of you have quit digging. You've quit digging your ditches. And the Lord is saying this Thanksgiving, pick up that shovel again and start digging. Can we show that last slide? Start digging. Don't you like those boots? Start digging. Get the shovel. Start digging again. You let the shovel drop. Pick it up. Start digging more ditches. You say, well, there's no point. There's nothing happening. Fine. There's no point here either. But if God has spoken to your heart, if there's something stirring in your heart, then you pick up that shovel and you start digging your ditch. Dig in your desert. Dig and keep on digging. If God says to give, last week we talked about giving. We talked about giving. If God says to give, you say, I can't give. I don't have anything to give. I'm all dried up. Might I suggest if God says to give, then give big. Give big. Don't wait for a million bucks to drop into your pocket before you pick up that shovel and start digging. Dig! Dig the ditches. Dig in your desert. A master plan is a valley full of ditches. If you don't love your husband anymore, then get busy filling the valley with ditches. Tell him you love him ten times a day. Call him at work. Write him little sticky notes. Stick it to his steering wheel. Stick it to his rear view mirror. Stick it to his lunchbox. Stick it to his razor. You start filling him with ditches. Tell him he's wonderful. Tell him he's handsome. Tell him he's smart. Brag on him. Kiss on him. Build him up. Dig the ditches and watch in a few years God's going to fill that ditch. You hear me? Dig the ditches. If your son or your daughter has broken your heart, then get busy digging ditches and dig a lot of them. Email them. Text them. Affirm them. Appreciate them. Love on them. Build them up. Dig ditches. Dig ditches. Dig ditches. It's not over until he sends the rain. And if it's not raining today, that means today's the day of digging ditches. Dig the ditches. Dig them. Dig them. And love on them. Remember the ditch you dig today will hold the grace you receive tomorrow. You might want to write that one down. Here it is. The ditch you dig today will hold the grace. You, re- you don't want much grace? Then stop digging then. Stop digging. God will fill just your little tiny grace. But you want grace? Listen, I can tell story after story. We had to keep digging. Forget going by what you see. Keep digging. keep digging. Keep digging. Keep digging the ditches. You imagine the surprise the Israelite army that morning when they woke up and they got up and they saw the defenseless Moabite army strolling through their camp without any armor? You imagine? Wouldn't that have been a shock? How could you have predicted such a lopsided battle with your men who were so undernourished? While you slept, God filled the ditches. And I'm going to say to you, that's our God. That's our God. God may be ready to grant you a supernatural outpouring of grace to meet your most desperate need but it requires you to keep digging your ditches this thanksgiving got to dig in got to dig in and watch what God will do